I hope that you all are uh, blessed to be here. Um, I'm very excited to have this meeting today for a number of reasons, but last night I was in deep prayer. I was seeking the, the face of the Lord um, for Him to give me a message to speak. <clears throat> and I want to say that it's it's not see the just just for your information especially if you're called to the ministry if you're ever called to hold a bible study or if you're called to lead um a ch- children's ministry or preach behind the pulpit or evangelize whatever it is i want you to well understand that it's much more than speaking. Um, It's far much more than just one's ability to speak. It goes beyond that. Um, In fact, if that's all that you would consider to be necessary as a minister of the gospel, then you got it severely wrong. Um, Ministers of the gospel are conduits of of a of of God we're conduits of the Lord and everybody derives something uh des- derives power from somewhere either it's in themselves or for all the occults in the world they derive their powers from satanism from the devil um but for ministers of the gospel, we must derive our power from, from the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, it doesn't even matter if you're not a minister. If you're a Christian, period, we cannot live successfully as Christians if we do not rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a concept that's in the Bible. It's a living reality. It's a living reality and it, it is an experience that you can have when the Lord infuses you with his grace and you know that a power outside of this world has come upon you. And if you do not have that, you will be exhausted. You will be confounded. You will come to a standstill because it doesn't matter how great of a strength you have, we have to go to a strength greater than our own. And it's the Lord's, right? And so coming back to that idea of, of ministering, um, the, greatest, the, the, the most difficult battle will be the battle on your knees. And I know that we hear a lot of spiritual warfare or, um, you know, a lot of those things, those concepts today, and they kind of get overplayed to the point to where it loses its force. It loses the weight of what those words actually mean. But your ministry or your life or your relationship, they all stand or fall depending upon this one very thing. And it's this, do I continually go to the Lord as my source, as my rock, as my anchor, as my power for my anointing? You know, and and just because you're ministering to little kids, it doesn't make you an exception. I love how 
well, I don't really love, but I, I'm as a figure of speech, I love how in uh, how easily we come into a natural mind and reason. Well, these are just little kids, but they're no little kids at all. That they're, they're in the sense that they have an eternal soul. You see, and I remember David Wilkerson. He said this. He says, "Where are the Sunday school teachers that will weep over the children they know are not hearing and going to hell?" It's a heavy reality when you think about it like that, when you put it into perspective like that. And I don't intend on harping on hell, but in, in, in light of that grim and, 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 and terrifying truth, I, I believe these words ring true, and it's, are the things that we are living for worth Christ dying for? Are we living with eternity's values in view? It's a heavy question, but <clears throat> at this time, I want us to join together in prayer. Um, and just as a side note, um, as a side note, I want you guys to be well informed. I want you to be well aware, and I, I will harp on this till the day I die, because I believe a church stands or falls. I believe that we stand or fall in this very thing. <clears throat> Um, beware of, of lightness. Um, I, I understand that there's peace in the Lord and, but you should be looking for weight. God's glory has weight. What do you mean by that? In second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse 17 says, um, that this suffering prepares for us an eternal weight of glory. There, there's, there is weight to the glory of God, and in your ministries, you ought to be seeking for weight. <clears throat> it's hard to describe what I mean uh, because it's an experience, but you don't leave the atmosphere thinking we had a good time or we had a fun time. I don't I I know that fun is a human experience but we don't see that word in the Bible. In, in terms of the, the apostles saying it was a real fun time ministering for the Lord. I don't think it was fun when when they when they had to endure many trials. I don't think it was fun when and I don't want to be a gloom or doom preacher here. I hope that you hear my heart. I believe there's peace. I believe there's joy in the Lord. I believe all of that. But I don't want us to uh, forget the reality that there are some very heavy truths in the Word and in reality. You know, I was just speaking with someone, um, we're going to pray right now, but I, I, was menace, I was speaking with someone who was commenting on uh, my social medias um, and I brought to him the idea of hell and he, he laughed it off. And I said, if, if you just purely analyze this, you, if, if you just hear what I'm saying from a logical standpoint and you understand that that hell is, is forever, you, you won't be laughing about this. I, whether you believe me or not, if you carry the logic and just for a moment grant or assume that my position is correct, then this will lead to a horrifying reality for you. 
And I, I, I just invite people to be logical about it. Never mind whether it's true. Would you at least just entertain the thought, the if, for your own sake? But with that said, um, <clears throat> I want us to pray now. I want us to in, uh, join together. And I want to ask that you guys would uh, pray unto the Lord that God would move. I, I, very quickly, because I want you to understand what you're praying for. <clears throat> when you're praying... You're asking that God would speak to you. Okay. Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter, If any man speaks, let him speak as the very oracles of God. That is to say, let him speak in such a manner as if it's undeniable that God is speaking through you. Okay. And th this is why I don't like sermons. Because I want God to channel His voice through me. And if I re I'm not knocking sermons and all that stuff, but if I rely too much on the head, I, I can't rely on the Holy Spirit. And I want him to speak to you all to give you direction. I don't know everything you're going through. So it has to be a prophetic experience. There's only one interpretation of the Bible, but there are many applications. And it must be applied appropriately to your life. You understand? So let us come into concert with each other and, and pray that the Lord would have his way this this um, well morning and evening, depending on where you're at. So, Father, we come before you, Lord. God, I just ask that you would speak. Lord, I ask that you would give me the power. I ask that you, Lord, would anoint my lips, that you would anoint my heart, that you would anoint my mind. God, I know that you have called me to proclaim your word, to uh, to lift up my voice to the captives that they may be set free, to declare the the good the good year of the Lord, that the captives can be set free, the uh, blind can be given sight, the sick can be can recover through the stripes that were on your back. The, by by your stripes we are healed, Lord. <clears throat> I pray, God, that you would give me clarity of speech. I pray that you would give me clarity of mind. I pray that, Lord, that you would guide exactly what I must say, that it may speak directly to all of our lives, Lord. That you would help, Lord, I pray that uh, uh, wheels that have been turning and, and, and efforts that have been made for so long to no avail, to no results, that, Lord, that you would grant wisdom so that your people can be lifted out of, uh, out of bondage, that can be lifted out, Lord, of their confusing states, that can be lifted out of depression, that can be lifted out of whatever it is that they're going through. Lord, I pray, God, right now in Jesus' mighty name, that you would infuse, Lord, your people with power too, Lord, that you would lift them up out of their troubles, that you would help to see them through every test and every trial and every stronghold, God. And Father, I pray that you would help me, Lord, to deliver your word in a graceful manner. <clears throat> Lord, that you would help me to deliver your word in a graceful disposition, a heart of grace, but Lord, also with a heart of urgency, God. Father, your word says I cannot do anything apart from you. So Lord, I rely on you, Lord. I depend on you and I ask you to please help me. Please strengthen me. 
Oh Lord, I pray. I pray that you would convict the hearers, that you would encourage the hearers, that you would reprove the hearers, Lord. And God, I pray that not a single heart would discard it, would dismiss it, would reject. Father, I pray for those that are going on, they're going through a war in their own heart and their own soul. Father, I pray help them, God. And help me to preach as a dying man to dying men, as if I can never preach again. Help me to preach, Lord, not with arrogance, but Lord, with weight and with urgency in my heart and zeal in my soul and love in my bosom. Love, Lord, in my soul. God, I pray that the, the evil one will not destroy their lives. Help them. Help your people. Help them, O oh God. Bring prosperity and abundance and joy and restoration for those, Lord, that have made a shame, have brought shame to their lives. Lord, bring restoration and healing. There's healing in your wings, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I want to ask that we would turn to Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35 through 38. <clears throat> Last night I was really meditating and I was praying. I, I was thinking about the compassion of the Lord. Well, first, actually, I began thinking about people. I began to think about the countless, uh, the, 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 many, the many people that are out today. Uh, the many people uh, and people groups in this world. Uh, uh, since it's, uh, oh, there you go, Matthew chapter 9. Um, <clears throat> thinking about all the people groups and thinking about those that are lost and are out of the way, are are ignorant, are in bondage, they're captive. Whether that means in a physical way or in a spiritual way. Sometimes I, I drive and I, I look upon groups of people and this is I'm not gonna act like this happens all the time. I mean it would be a very difficult burden to live with, but there are occasional times that the Spirit of God would come upon me and as I look out on the horizon of, of the multitudes of people depending on where I'm at or I'm just seeing people walk across the street or if I'm just meditating as I'm in prayer and I just see visions of, of people and I'm thinking about the Macedonian call where, where Paul receives a vision and the, and the vision was that the Macedonians said, help us. And, and and how there are a great number of people that have a tremendous need. And the need is for God. And, and the need is for the Lord. And they're without the Lord. They're without Him. 
And I trust that our hearts are moved with compassion. I trust that our hearts are moved in the manner that the Lord's heart was moved for the multitudes of the people. I understand that we stand for truth and we stand for what is right. We, we stand for holiness. We, we stand for the law of God. But we, we ought not to get forgetful that we too, as Paul said in Titus, were once disobedient. We were once foolish. We were once all of the things that we want to label other people as we too once were, the, were they. And, and the mercy doesn't sound like a wonderful idea when you have to extend the mercy. But when you are the recipient of the mercy, when you are receiving the mercy, you know that is one of the most beautiful things that your ears can hear. It is one of the most beautiful concepts that your ears can, can hear. But the difficult part is for us to extend the mercy to others. Suppose you just bought a brand new car and you're a new driver and you bump into someone else's vehicle. And you know that you're barely getting by and and you don't know how you're going to pay that back. And you're thinking about all the legal stuff that you would have to go through. And to think that the person that you bumped into and it was your fault, they said, I'm going to have mercy today. You don't have to pay me back. Forget this ever happened. That's forgiveness. But that comes, or that at least ought to come from a heart of mercy and a heart of compassion. Right? And forgiveness basically means I release you of the debt that you were entitled to pay me. That's literally what forgiveness is. It means I let go. I incur the injury. You are in debt with with the payment. And I'm not exacting that payment from you. I will pay it myself. I will take the injury. I will take the blow. This is going to come out of my own pocket to repair this vehicle. Mercy. And it triumphs over judgment. Amen. But let's, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And we're just going to go by verse by verse and just take a look at this and and, and expose you to, to God's word. And and so what we, what we see here is going on is, simply put, is Jesus... He's fulfilling, he's doing the work of an evangelist. That's what he's doing, he's traveling. And what we see here is he doesn't have regard for the location, necessarily. Um, He's not concerned about whether they are civilized or uncivilized. Uh, He's not concerned of how they look. And, And see, this is where... This is where the gospel really has to get real for us. And and we are to have a gospel that is colorblind. 
or it's it's blind to your economic status, how much money you make, how you're clothed, how you look, right? Because he's going in the village and the synagogues, the religious and perhaps the irreligious. Those who have religion and those who don't. Now, I understand that one can say, well, he wasn't going to the Gentiles, and rightly so. His mission wasn't to the Gentiles. The mission uh, for the Gentiles was, was Paul. Paul was called to them. But nonetheless, whether it was through Jesus or whether it was through Paul, it was still nonetheless the will of the Father to include all of humanity, every tribe and every tongue and every nation, right? That's why I think this this group is so beautiful, the diversity, that we have these differences of languages. And yet we have this one common uniting factor, whether you're from Latin America or you're from Asia or you're from Europe or America, Canada, it doesn't matter. We have this uniting, uniting factor that Jesus Christ spilt his precious blood for our sins and we're included in the family of God. You know, you know, I, I would get on to some of the local churches here because, um, you know, I, I would get on to them about, because um, they, they would always say, you know, we become all things unto all men that we might save some. You know, because over here in, in the Central Valley, we're, we're, we're real, here in California, we're real big about, you know, outreaches and stuff like that, and that's good. And a lot of the guys, they'll they'll bring rap, and they'll in some cases they'll bring like lowriders because you know I'm around a lot of you know Chicanos, so we'll, we'll you know have lowriders and you know a whole big old outing, and we'll preach and stuff like that. But I'm saying I was I was challenging them this, and I said, when are you going to look like the white guy with the suit on? If, if we're really about that idea, I want to see us begin to merge with other ethnic groups and other cultures, and be willing to adapt in order for the sake of the gospel if we really want to operate in love. And what that requires is for us to get outside of our comfort zone. And that's not an easy thing to do. I'm not pretending like it's easy because it means that sometimes you have to speak the language. And I'm not referring to the actual language, but I mean uh, where they're at. Sometimes it will require for you to speak their language to come where they're at in order for you to pull them up out of their mess. You know, I was entertaining this idea and I was like, when I was in prayer a couple of days ago, and I said, I was thinking, I said, you know, God, he speaks slang. He speaks our modern lingo. You know that? I'm not saying he cusses. But I, I can prove this, maybe not from the Bible, but from experience. When I was going to go get drunk before I got saved and I was headed to a party, you know, me, me, the, me, uh, the way that I would speak with my, with my friends, and like if we were going to leave, this is probably not something you guys have heard before, depending on where you're from, but I was like, yo, 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 homie, let's dip out. That's what I say, let's dip out. That meant let's let's go, let's bounce, right? And so when we were going to, well, I was going to a party with these guys, and <clears throat> I wasn't saved, but the Spirit of God convicted me when I looked at a sign that said dip. 
But it, it what it meant was like there's a dip as you're driving on the road, so watch out, there's a dip. But the Lord used that, which was my slang, to convict me and say, dip out of here, don't go. And then as I continued, I tried to shrug it off like, nah, that don't mean anything, that's just a coincidence. As I continue forward, there was a sign, a one-way sign, because we were here in America, we have you know signs, I don't know if you guys do, but it says one way. But beneath it, someone graffitied on it and said to hell. I was like, ah, oh, man. So God used a second sign to convict me. And so I told my guys, I said, yo, I'm going to dip out, dude. I don't, I don't want to go, man. <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> this party ain't worth hell. <laughs> so I dipped. <laughs> but my point in saying that, you know, David says, you know, the Lord, he's my shield. Had that been written, or he's my sword, he's my buckler, had that been written in modern times, it may have been something like, the Lord is my, my 22, or he's, he's, my, he's my 38. Because, in other words, he's my, he's my gun. Those are just uh, terms, uh, certain guns. But you think about David, he was using a sword. Had the Bible been written in modern times, it may have sounded something like that, because that's what... People use today for warfare, right? Or is my M16? But anyways, my point though is this, is Jesus had no regard for where these people were at. In fact, he went to the lowliest. He went to the dirty. He went to the outcast. He went to the messed up. He went to the jacked up. He went to those who were ignorant. He went to those that the people had considered the outcasts of society. He went to the lepers. He went to the prostitutes. In fact, his ministry was being discredited by the religious elite for that precise reason. And so when I hear a lot of uh, 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 religious people start moving their mouth too much about who we're ministering to, then that's to me a badge of honor because it shows me that you, you're wrong and your perception is off and that I'm doing the right thing. Amen? Amen. And, and I get it can be a dirty thing. And you can minister to people that absolutely inconvenience you. But this is where the bowels of compassion ought to be to well up for these people. You know, I remember when I was working at a homeless mission. And I sometimes would speak to men who had lost their minds due to... Uh, bad drugs that they had taken they had gone insane and you know all all i could hope for is that god by his word will penetrate their minds that are no longer operating as they ought and I began to think about what if I was in this situation? What if I was that insane man? What if I had taken a, a batch of, of bad drugs that were laced with, with some uh, 
unknown chemical that jacked my mind up. Would I want a believer to contend for my soul, to love me enough to believe that God can save me despite how horrible of a situation I'm in? Or am I going to get yucked out? Am I going to be like, yeah, I don't want to talk to that person. You see how he's dressed? You know, Jesus, he ministered to people who were naked. Do you understand that? He wasn't even clothed. The man who was infused with 5,000 demons, cutting himself in the cave, and people couldn't bind him. He was an outcast of society. I'm sure that he was vexed and tormented by demons and wanted escape from that. And that's precisely why when he seen Jesus, he ran to him and he said, Oh, son of God. There was still enough will within the man to know that he needed saving. And he was naked. You know, some of our our uptight churches will try to uh, uh, clean you up before your heart is even cleaned up. They said, you know, come and be dressed differently or how dare you come into the house of God. And sometimes I feel like telling them, shut up. Welcome these people in. Stop getting so uptight. I understand if it's a brother or sister that's not living in accord with the word, you correct them. They have light. They have the Lord. But those who don't know any better, it's like saying, why aren't you well? Why aren't you healthy when you come to this hospital? It's like, do you understand like the the Christian's mind at that point is probably more jacked up than theirs? Like the reasoning is off. Why are you not healthy when you come to the hospital? That doesn't make sense. You see what I'm saying? And I'm not saying excuse people's sin. But what I am saying is this, is that compassion, it waters your eyes and clears your vision for how you ought to view people. When your eyes are dry, you cannot see with the proper lens. You know, it was Catherine Booth who said that if they do not see tears in your eyes, may they hear it in your voice. May they hear it in your voice. And people know. That's why I I, I, I bag on them a lot and I'm pretty happy that I do. I can't stand like 90% of the street preachers because they're so obnoxious and annoying to me. Because I don't hear tears in their voice. I don't hear this compassion. People that yearn and and say, I want you to come in. I want to compel you to come in. I want you in the family of God. I want you to be a child of God. I want you to experience His grace. I want you to experience what love really is. And I know that you don't know. And I know that you're lost. I know that you're ignorant. But I want to help to pull you up out of that fire so that you will be welcomed into the kingdom of God and that we can rejoice. I want angels to rejoice, the Father to rejoice, and myself to rejoice in this grand truth that once a person was lost but now they're found once they were damned but now they're saved once they were bound by Satan but now they are free I love uh, uh, I love Dr. Martin Luther King's speeches man but I, I love this one time this uh, one of his greatest speeches he says free at last free at last thank God almighty we're free at last <laughs> 
And, and so that is what I want to be sung on the lips of those who were in chains and in bondage. They say, free at last, free at last. Thank Jesus Christ, I'm free at last. <clears throat> but here's the thing, you cannot operate, you cannot declare that which you don't have yourself. Well, let me rephrase that. You you can actually can you actually can. I remember John Bunyan. He said that in one of his uh, books, he said that as I felt the spiritual chains of oppression, uh, um, I began to declare the freedom of the Lord, and their chains fell off. And sometimes the Lord will have you in the midst of your chains to declare freedom and liberty to those who are in chains themselves as a test of faith. Do you believe? For others, what you yourself are not currently experiencing. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but he says, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So this is the gospel. It comes from the Greek word euangelion. Ooh, fancy, right? Nah. But um <laughs> it's just it's just I mean the original language in the New Testament. I, I'm kinda like one of those guys that like that stuff, but anyways, it simply means good news. Good tidings, glad tidings. That's what the gospel is. But you know <clears throat> it says that he declared the gospel, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said that the kingdom of God was now. It's now. We're not looking to create walking libraries. We're not looking to create scholars. We're looking for the life of God to be imparted to those who are currently in the kingdom of Satan and break those yokes and bondages and give them a new heart. I like how Paul Washer describes it. He says that the, the work of God in the heart of an unregenerate person, in other words, for someone who is um, not saved, the work of God in their heart to recreate their heart and give them a new heart is that great of a work compared to God's creation of the universe. The creation of the universe, God creates nothing, something out of nothing. But in our case, he's creating what is warped and bent and disgusting and filthy and, 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 and twisted. And he recreates the heart. You know, I, I, was, um, I was going back to listen to one of the uh, testimonies that I did with one of my brothers. He's a pastor out in uh, Modesto. He was a you know, top uh, gangster. And he was a big time, you know, meth dealer. And well, he went into, uh, he got locked up in prison and he spent a number of years in prison and he spent quite a while in solitary confinement. But he said this, that when he was in solitary confinement, he called unto the Lord and, and he was, he was a North Daniel. So he, you know, they normally wear red and stuff. 
But he said that he knew that he was a changed man and he was so surprised because when he went out in the yard and he seen a bunch of Sureños who were their rivals, their enemies, he said for the first time in his life he never felt hatred. He never felt like he wanted to murder them. And, and that is the work of God. It is not a behavior modification. It's not do-goodism or religious Dr. Philism. It is a, a, a reality and a change in the heart where God takes what is filthy and he takes what is dirty and he takes what is unclean and he takes what is warped and he gives you new desires and the kingdom has come. That is the power of the kingdom that God can take a lunatic and change their mind. God can take a murderer and make them gentle as a dove god can take a brawler a fighter and make them a a a, a great uh, uh, uh um they're no longer a menace to society but they contribute to the welfare of people Amen. it says healing every disease and every affliction how many of you know that we still believe in the healing power of God. We may not see it every day. We may not be walking on water and 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 floating on clouds, but the reality is this that it is nonetheless true. We are what what you would call charismatics. Charismatic comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace or gift. And and so we are those who believe in the gifts. We don't believe they have been done away with. There are people who are trying to argue against the scriptures and say, oh, the God don't do that no more. Oh, God, there's no tongues. Oh, there's no prophecy. And I just chuckle. I'm like, I live the life. How are you? What are you talking about? There's no healing. Oh, demons that, you know. And I asked the question. I remember there was this guy and he said that all that stuff been done away with. I said, Bro, I said, if someone's demon-possessed before you, what are you going to do? Just stand and look? I said, how? So, do you, I asked him, do you believe people are still demon-possessed today? He said, yes. <clears throat> I said, well, how do you fix that? I don't know. Well, you don't know because it's there in the Bible and you reject it. You're cherry-picking scripture, scriptures. You're an unbelieving believer. You say you believe, but you really don't. It's there in the text, black and white. Don't let anybody argue out, uh, into that nonsense, please. I, I find that so annoying. I, I it, because I, I believe in a God with power. See, here's the thing. You must understand this. This is Jesus's declaration. When we say that uh, gospel. And kingdom has come. We're not saying, hey, we just got this cute little message that happens to be true. And we just want you to align your thinking to that. That's an aspect. Their their thinking must change. But in effect, what we're saying is this. We are coming in authority and a power that the world doesn't have. And we're demolishing this kingdom, the kingdom of this world. And we're coming with anointing. We're coming with power. And we're coming with the demonstration of the Spirit and and His power. And so it doesn't matter whether you're possessed. We're serving an eviction uh, eviction notice on the devil. And we're saying you got to go. 
So when Moses had gone to Pharaoh, do you think it was his eloquence or do you think it was his own might that uh, enabled Pharaoh's heart to finally cave under the pressure of of Moses' speech? No. He said, look, I'm going to come with power and I'm going to demonstrate you that I'm coming in the name of the Lord. Let God's people go or else. I was listening to a testimony. There was a satanic work. Uh, He may not have been explicitly satanic, but he was satanic in the sense that he was refusing missionaries into the country. And as the believers began to pray, the man died. Because he was a worker of the devil who refused to repent. The Lord gave him a specific time to repent. I believe it was two years. But here's the thing. You cannot try to put your hand to the Lord and stop his work and expect that you're going to go away free. You know, I I think there's enough sinners who have, you know, there's, I don't know if you met those sinners who have enough respect for God. That if they're smoking a cigarette or they're drinking, they'll put it away. They'll hide it when you come around. I, I love them because they're like, oh, you know, I, I know I ain't right. I know I ain't right. But, hey, you know, excuse me, please. You know, but they're not those sort of sinners. They're the sinners that try to antagonize God's people, try to demolish God's work. That's a whole nother, that's sinning on a whole nother level. You know, <clears throat> But anyways, but my point though is this, is that Paul came in power. Paul came with the authority of the kingdom. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's not just talk. Once again, I understand that we're probably not seeing people raised from the dead every day and stuff like that. You know, we have very, uh, at times, mundane or normal lives. But I don't want you to be argued out of the fact, whether by the devil or by other Christians, or that these things have been done away with. I remember the first, the second day I was saved as a Christian, I laid my hands on someone's knee and it got healed. And I didn't even know there was a verse for that. Go figure, right? That's pretty cool. I didn't even know there was a verse about all that. I didn't even know John 3.16 and I'm already saying I believe enough like I have experienced this power that changed my heart in an instant and I, I I don't deny it. But verse 36 it says when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them. Let me stop there. What this will mean is that you actually have to be in close proximity with people to even see crowds in other words this means that you should not be living in a life that hides away from the need of people see Jesus had seen the crowds because he wasn't some irrelevant monk living in some distant land you realize you realize that the apostles weren't like that, but I see that's a lot of what we're doing today. We may not be a monk in a very Catholic way, but we're monks in different ways. We just love these conspiracy theories, and we love going back and forth with other believers, and and we're really not exposed to the need of of the world. 
That's that's why I just often roll my eyes and I'm like, come on, man, why are we doing this dumb stuff? And I know it can be tempting, but here's the thing is sometimes people just want to win arguments more than they want to win souls. <clears throat> In fact, many cases, Jesus didn't concern himself with winning arguments. They, they would come up to him and said, I'll ask you a question. Let us ask you a question. He says, well, let me ask you a question. You know, my authority, you know, no, uh, what, what do he say? Um, John's baptism. Was it from heaven or was it from uh, uh, the earth? And the Pharisees disputed among themselves. We said, well, if we say from heaven and that John the Baptist is a prophet, they would reason, well, why didn't we accept Jesus? Because John the Baptist pointed out Jesus as the Lamb of God, but if we say it's of the earth, there's a bunch of people here, and they're going to uh, probably tear us apart because they believe John the Baptist was a prophet. So we're going to say we don't know. Jesus says, well, I don't know either, so. <laughs> Go on your way. Scoot, scoot. I love that. I, he doesn't even have time to engage with them. And I I, I, I see that as this, this sort of... Um, Keyboard warrior Christians always, you know, oh, well, you know this version of the Bible. No, oh no, the King James is the only version. Y'all know you should be doing this, and you're always trying to attack someone. They're like, like I've, I've used this analogy before. They're religious flies, and they just pastor people. See, when you got when you got people that actually need you, you don't got time for that stuff. And it's those people that haven't experienced need uh, 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 contributing to the needs of the people, either because they don't got anything to give or people don't see that they have anything worth giving. You know, there's this famous quote, and it's that if no one's following you, you're only taking a walk. And I trust that and with whatever measure, we're not just irrelevant Christians taking a walk. But my hope would be that there would be this this wonderful grace to your life. This, this beauty, this attractiveness to your life that will be able to look at the crowds. And these crowds, even if they're in sin, even if they ain't living right, even if they're just jacked up, they will at least acknowledge you know what? There's something different about you. I love how you just bring a joy. I love how you just bring hope. I love how you speak faith to me. You know, I'm not ready to go to church and do all that stuff and 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 sing all your religious songs, but you know what? You bring hope to humanity. And you'll get a lot of that if you actually demonstrate the love of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. But it says when he saw the crowds, you know, sometimes we, we, we hide our eyes. We hide our eyes to things that we know to be in society. Um, but the time of hiding is no longer. We can't hide. There's too great of a need, man. 
Do we look upon the crowds and do we, like Jesus, have compassion on people? <clears throat> the, the word there in, in, in the Greek for compassion, it gives the idea of, of the inward parts, the, the, the organs. Because it was believed that the organs were the seat of the affections. And, and and so when when Jesus had seen these people, his heart, his organs, if you will, his 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 bowels, as the scripture says, they're moved with compassion. They're moved with this affection that goes out toward people. And I think this is a trouble that a lot of people have because they see Jesus, you know, giving orders, walking on water, but they forget that he is a, he's gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yes, he's going to come with ten thousands of angels afflicting justice upon his adversaries, those who love not the truth. But do not forget that in the days of his earthly ministry, he walked around doing good. Healing all those who are afflicted. And there are a number of occurrences where it says Jesus, having been moved with compassion, extended his hand and it says, give in sight to them. Or he says, pick up your mat and walk. Even the man that had rejected Jesus has said, Jesus having had compassion on him. So even the man who could not give up his riches, that still did not uh, uh, prevent Jesus' heart from being moved. But here's what the temptation will be for you and I, is to say, this is too heavy of a burden. I don't want to have to deal with this. This is too weighty. It's too costly. It's disturbing me. I don't know how to endure the weight of these emotions. So I'm just going to ignore this. I'm going to harden my heart, and I'm not going to do anything about it. But here's the thing is Jesus's compassion did not refuse Jesus's compassion is the, the very thing that moved him to come near unto us who were afar off. So it's just not feelings it is a compassion that is moved to action. <clears throat> but he says he says it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed. They were vexed. They were, they were um, tormented. They were disturbed. They were troubled. And it says they were harassed and helpless. You know, me and my wife were do taking a drive the other day. And uh, since we live around a lot of agriculture, we had seen uh, just a, a vast amount of sheep just in, in, a, in a nearby field, just eating a lot of grass. I'm like, there's the church. <laughs> they don't even know where they're at. But the sheep, do you know that they're they're pretty ignorant? Like I don't say that to be insulting, but they're they're not the wisest animals. And some of them do go astray.
like some of us. Like David says, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. How many of us today are perhaps astray in our hearts? <clears throat> we know the Lord's command, but we don't follow. We know that what he tells us is right. But we say, Lord, I, I want to do what I want to do. You know, I don't know if you've seen that video on Instagram or, or whatever social media. It's like a little reel. It's a, it's a, it's a, a guy. He takes a sheep out of this little pocket. It's like a... Um, little space like it's what well, it's a dirt on this side dirt on this side and the sheep's head gets stuck in it like up to like half of its body and he pulls it out and the sheep goes hopping again and by the third hop he falls into it again <laughs> that's that that's that's a lot of the church there god takes you out and the Lord is shaking his head is like, when are you going to stop? And I'm, I'm not saying that he comes trying to guilt you and shame you. He doesn't do that. He don't, he convicts, he don't shame people. He don't try to rub it in people's faces. But the Lord's heart is still moved with compassion. Asking this question, daughter, when will you get it right? Son. You know I love you. You know that this man is not for you. You know this woman isn't for you. Why do you insist on taking what isn't yours? And what will only hurt you? What will only lead you astray? And bring trouble to your life? You know how you're in trouble as, as the Lord's sheep is when you feel harassed and you feel helpless. That's because the Lord is allowing you to go there so you can call out to Him for help. Because you've done it your way and He says, I want you to do it my way. Now, are you ready? Are you ready to forfeit your ways? Oh, but we'll 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 rationalize and we'll 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 pick every verse that supports what we want to do. Or we'll listen to the right preachers like, "Ooh, I know he'll tell me. He's a gummy bear gospel preacher." <laughs> and it's one thing looking for encouragement and, you know, but it's another thing to try to already you know come to your conclusion regardless of what the argument is <laughs> um but the lord is patient the lord is patient and you know he will wait 40 years of you wandering through a wilderness 
just so you can come full circle. And God asks, are you ready? But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. The time is far spent. You don't have eternity to get it right. And even though you may be saved, do you really want to ruin the majority of your life? When God has so much greater for you and for I. God has greater plans for you than where you're at. And you will never tap into that potential because you're always settling for less. And in some cases, you, my brothers and sisters, I say this with all due respect and with love in my heart, that some of you are settling for trash. For rubbish. For nonsense. You know I know this brother. I had counseled him. He, he was trying to rationalize. He was a Catholic. And, and he was still wanting to date her. And he was a professed Christian. And, and I'm like bro. It's not going to mix man. I'm telling you dude. But he gets into it anyways. And then not only that. He marries in a month. And he divorces in a month. He didn't even pay off the the ring yet. And he's already divorced. It's, It's a shame. It's a tragedy. You had all these hopes to build your life with someone. But in a moment of weakness and hunger, you sell your birthright for a bowl of beans. You see that? Don't give up your birthright. And and forgive me if this is too explicit. Don't give up your virginity. For those of you that that have it. And if you done messed that up in the world, still Christ create, creates you a new create, creature, uh, creature, creation. Don't start blowing it. <clears throat> because here's the thing: God will forgive, and God will spare. God will do all this. He will restore your life. I, I assure you this. The Bible makes this very clear. But you will waste a lot of years. And it will not be without trouble. I guarantee you it will not be without trouble. You will have a lot of trouble. Look at David's consequences when he sinned. There were wars all the days of his life because of it. That means you don't get the rest now. Sorry, you got to fight the rest of your life. Do you see that? Can I get an amen or we're kind of sulking with the conviction a little bit? Amen. So, the Lord has compassion for you. You know, people say, I know that God loves me, but does he, does he like me? 
You know, the Lord wants to be a friend to us. He wants to be our companion. <clears throat> he cares. He cares. Now, when I gave my life to Jesus, I know this is kind of all over the place, but <clears throat> when I had given my life to Jesus, I felt love for the first time in my life. The love of God, the love of Jesus. That gave me a purpose that human words are incapable of explaining the love of Jesus, the compassion of God. I was on my way to a devil's hell, and the compassion of the Lord said, Nope, pulls me back and says, not this one. Not this one. I got something for you to do. I got a plan for your life. <clears throat> you know, I was watching a prison documentary the, the, last night. Um, I, I I tend to expose myself to, to things like that, about poverty in different parts of the world and horrible living conditions because I don't want myself to be blinded by my immediate circle. I want to remind myself, Greg, there's a lot of suffering in this world. And there's a lot of people that don't got what you got. They don't have the hope of the gospel. Some of them don't got shirts on their back. And you as a minister of the gospel have the answer to this life. But I seen this man, he, 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 had, he was in a different country, and the country did not care that he was an American, so, so he broke the law in that country, and he was confined to prison for nine years in horrible living conditions, and they did not even allow him to call his family to let them know where they're at. So his family don't even know where he's at. I think that's the most difficult thing to endure. They don't know whether he's dead, whether he's alive, or what happened. And so my point in saying that is there are some people that are going through hell. And and but we we have hope. We have the the answer. We have God's power. We have what the world is searching for. But the question is this. Do our hearts well up with compassion and drive us and move us? Does it cause us to, to look upon the crowds and upon the multitudes? And if it doesn't, may we come to the Lord and say, God, break us. I don't feel how you feel. I don't see how you see. I don't hear how you hear. Oh, Lord, break me into a thousand pieces that I might be able to feel like you feel. Because I assure you this. That the heart of Jesus is not so hardened so that he does not reach out with love and compassion and mercy and desire to save, desire to restore, a desire to mend. I believe that there's grief in the heart of God today because of the reality of those who reject the life of God. 
he calls and he calls and he calls. And he raises up his prophets. He raises up his ministers. He raises up his evangelists to go into the highways and the byways and to say that freedom has come. You can be forgiven. You can be set free from your bondage and imprisonment. Hallelujah. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want to read this verse in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11. Look at the Father's heart. And this is Jesus' heart. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. In other words, he's carrying them close to his heart. You know how John the Beloved who was far from a feminine man laid his head on Jesus' bosom. He wanted to be near the Lord's heart. But let me ask you guys this. Do you welcome the Lord to bring you that close to Him to where you can experience His compassion? Experience intimacy with God? I think the reason why our hearts are not broken over a sin-dominated world is because we don't enjoy intimacy with the living God as we are. So He's not sharing His heart with you. Are we coming near Him? Are we allowing all of our pride to come down, our walls to come down, our hurt, our bitterness to come down, our fears to come down, and for the Lord to get right into your heart? And it's costly because sometimes He'll allow you to go through suffering so you can relate with those who suffer themselves. <clears throat> if you don't believe me, turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1, and what you see there is Paul says something very phenomenal, but I love this because what it shows me is that the Lord allows us to suffer with purpose. He allows us to suffer with purpose. It's not meaningless. But he says right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We are, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. So do you see there that Paul is saying, look, 
We're going through all of this stuff, but it is in order that we may be able to, in love, comfort you as well. So the Lord allows us to go through these things, and He's hoping to get something to you to educate you through this. So it, it has something beyond you. It has a meaning beyond you. And this is why a lot of preachers who haven't suffered anything, or anybody in the ministry for that matter, who hasn't suffered, who hasn't been tempered by breaking and by crushing and by, by the endurance of trials, can often sometimes be the most dangerous because they say things disconnected from human suffering, from the way that people are actually experiencing life. So it is no wonder that their words fall on deaf ears. Because one of the most consoling things is to hear an affirming message from someone who you know has gone through the same exact thing as you. And my brothers and sisters, let me tell you, there's been times that I've gone through things that I did not feel like I was going to make it. But God in His mercy, God in His grace, God in His uh, persevering power had kept me. And it wasn't me hanging on to Him. He was cradling me into His his arms and he kept me he kept me <clears throat> even as a Christian as ridiculous as this may sound to the religious elite I've gone through a time where suicide came in my mind you see, some people at that point was with all their stupid philosophies and theories of, oh, you're a backslid. No, I wasn't. Oh, you didn't have faith. Yes, I did. A bunch of nonsense. People haven't gone through anything. Love to theorize about other people's pain and suffering. From their place of privilege and ivory tower, just, you know, gripping their chin as they're wondering, why is this person going through this? Well, here's a biblical theory I'll postulate. <clears throat> but you know why? Through those times, I was able to come closer to what it feels like to suffer. There's times where all I could do is weep. All I could do is cry, and I couldn't even utter a prayer. And my heart would cry out and say, Lord, God, keep me. Keep me, Lord. Keep me, God. I'm weak. I can't. I can't go on. Help me. Jesus, I know you love me. Keep me. Help me, God of all comfort, God of all love. Help me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
You know, I, I in the world I wasn't an emotional person. But I but the Lord has allowed me to go through, through some things to where I was robbed of any strength to do things myself in order to temper me in order to cleanse my vision in order that I might have sympathy for those that are struggling and are in pain that are in trouble, that are oppressed. I remember some years back, there was a time where I thought I was going to go crazy, literally, in a, in a, in a literal way. <clears throat> because I was, was going through hell for like a year and a half. And so if you're suffering right now, two things I want you to know, is that God's compassion and love for you is greater than that. And number two, I I probably know how you feel. And Jesus' heart goes out to you in compassion. He's a shepherd. And he wants to guide you and he wants to carry you in his bosom, carry you in his arms <clears throat> and lead you gently. A shepherd is a protector. He's a, he nurtures, he feeds, he cares for. Look at verse 37. He says, Then he said to his disciples, <clears throat> The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. <clears throat> so he looks to the ones he trusts. In other words, Okay, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You know, there's a song I love by Commissioned. It says, people dying every day. Will you go and point the way? Go and tell somebody. Tell them that Jesus loves them. And he died for every one of their sins. Go tell somebody. Soon he will come back again. I love that, man. Now that you've come out of the darkness, will you turn on the light for a friend? Don't leave them there groping in darkness, but tell them how they can be born again. Don't leave people groping in darkness, <clears throat> but tell them how they can be born again, how they can find the life that you have. <clears throat> I want you to think about it. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this is sinking in. You know, I know women, they rejoice when a child is coming to the world. They love to lavish with a baby shower. But how precious is it that someone would be oppressed by the devil and going to hell and that they would be given 
new life. You know, there's this brother. We there's this brother that we we uh, we gather together with once a week. He just got saved. He was addicted to meth for 35 years of his life, and he says with enthusiasm and zeal almost every week. He says, "Can you believe God saved a drug addict like me?" I'm blown away. Praise God. Hallelujah. He don't get into all the intricacies of the Antichrist and all that stuff. All he knows is I was that blind man, like the, you know, the blind man that didn't have his sight. And the Pharisees are questioning him. He says, How, tell us, were you born blind? He says, you know, who healed you? He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. All I know is I was a drug addict, but I'm saved. I don't know who the Antichrist is. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I know I'm saved. I know that I see. I know that I have hope. And I know that the love of God has changed my life in such a way that it doesn't matter who's questioning me on the matter. You cannot argue me out of my experience. Amen. This ain't just a religious book. It's not a... A religious social club. It's a living reality that the life of God then lives within the heart of that person and gives them the resurrection power of Jesus. <clears throat> but there's an enthusiasm to it, to him. He had to get all his teeth redone because drugs jacked up his smile, his skin, everything about the man. And, and the brothers were out evangelizing. For 35 years, he never dropped that globe. He just every single day. And it wasn't like he smoked weed. I mean, meth is a the devil's drug. Like, for real. And he touched it every day for 35 years of his life. And he didn't let it down once. But they prayed for him. And the following day, for 35 years... Once in his life, he didn't have a desire and he threw it away. And he's been clean since and he gave his life to Jesus. <clears throat> no drug is too powerful. Pornography is not more powerful. Sex is not more powerful. Gangs, it don't matter what it is. Where sin abound, grace does much more abound. You know, one of the first signs I knew I was saved, I was no longer proud to lift up my hands. Because I would see a bunch of kids at the youth camp, like, lifting their hands, like, crying and stuff. And I'm over there, you know, trying to be all cool and stuff. Like, all swagged up and stuff. Like, man, who's looking? Shoot. Look that way real quick, man. You know. <laughs> trying to be all swagged up and all cool. <laughs> it ain't cool going to hell though <laughs> but once the Lord revealed himself to me I don't care I'm like get out of the way I'm, I'm gonna sway back and forth and do whatever I'll cry tears I don't care who's looking <laughs> if I raise my hands my crush will look at me it's probably a new crush that you should get <laughs> She ain't impressed by lifted hands and a worshipful heart. <laughs> We're coming to a close. 
But he says the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's there's more there's more people out there and and there's more of a harvest than there are actual laborers. You know, sometimes people get political as Christians. Uh over like regions and stuff like that and it's like I guess you're just not looking far enough cuz there's there's a lot of people there's a lot of people to help. There's a lot of people to help. How, how many people do we have in this world today? Seven billion, I believe. Six to eight billion, somewhere around there. I don't even got that many seconds to count. You get, you get what I'm saying? There's a lot of people. And so I believe Jesus is looking to us today and he's telling you that the harvest is plentiful. In other words, if you reap a harvest, guess what? Guess what? It's a delightful thing. It refreshes you. It's a time of rejoicing because there's value in the crops. But how much more value? Does the life of a soul possess when it says the life of a soul is costly that Jesus gave his own precious blood that people may come to life and everlasting? Or are we too religious for that? Are we too good? You like your comfort. Think about it. And I want to remind you. Sometimes our problems are trivial in light of what will be the results of those who will not believe the gospel. Right? They will perish eternally. I don't like that. I, I don't like thinking about that idea any more or any less than you. But think about it though, you know. So Lord, help us. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Here's a very practical way that you can help. You may not be one of those that reap the harvest in terms of preaching the gospel, casting out demons. Because here's the thing, I'm not going to lie, it's not for everybody. That's that calling is not for everybody to preach the gospel in the streets and all that stuff. Yes, be a witness in your job, be a faithful light. You know, those who ask, give them a defense of the faith for that you hope that the faith that you have. Yes, amen. But in terms of being some militant street preacher and reaping and harvest souls, that's not that's not for everybody. But you know what you can do? Pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest that he will send out laborers. That is a practical way. The ministry of prayer is open to everybody. Amen. 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 And the Lord, he hears your prayer. That, that, this verse is a, a, an applicable verse back then as much as it is today. 
In other words, this command is something that the Lord is still commanding the church today. But he, he doesn't just say pray. He says pray earnestly. So this should be something that you continue to go to the Lord about. Say we need more laborers. Whether that means apostles being raised up, prophets being raised up, evangelists, pastors, or, or, or people that contribute to the needs given to hospitality. Right? That we're all laborers. We're all laboring. At least that's what we should be doing. And Paul tells us this in Titus. He says, remind them to give themselves to good works lest they be unfruitful. So, how's our prayer lives? And I'm not asking us personally... I'm not asking for us to give us uh, for you to give me answers, but how is our prayer life doing? Do we think about the mission? Do we think about the the? Do we think about the cause? <clears throat> do you know the Lord is inviting you to be a contributor to His kingdom? You know, last night when I told you I was watching that documentary, I couldn't help but think about. How some countries, they are, in, in a very unique way, overcome by demonic strongholds. I know America has its problems, but you know what? No one's putting a gun to my head to say, renounce Jesus. But you know what I want to see? I want to see every country that has those wicked regimes that will persecute God's people to come crumbling down. Amen. I want to see every tyrannical, every communistic, every jihadist, every uh, uh, a religious institution or, or government that doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord. It is my prayer that it will come to destruction. It will come to ruin. That the entire building and infrastructure will come uh, be demolished. Hallelujah. Look at the mandate of the prophetic uh, 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 calling of Jeremiah. What did the Lord tell him? He says, I have called you as a prophet to the nations to uproot those things that have not been planted by the Lord. To uproot them and to place a new plantation. That is the mandate of the church as we come to destroy hell because it destroys the lives of people. Amen. And we are to go out in power and strength and with the Lord's courage to do what we can, to shine light, to expose, to love, to have compassion, to win people, to contribute to His kingdom, to give, to pray. And this is our inheritance. I want to see the day when all of the enemies of the Lord and all the wicked regimes and all the wicked systems are placed underneath the feet of the Lord and He conquers everything. And righteousness will reign. It will run down as the streaming waters. Make every crooked place straight, every valley high, exalted, and every mountain brought low. The Lord's going to lift up all the lowly of the earth, the meek of the earth, and He's going to exalt them to places of power and position. 
and authority because we're of the Lord's kingdom. And Jesus says, it has all been given to me. He will inherit the nations, not the devil. Not on the, not on the Lord's watch. So I, I'm 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 not I'm not waiting to get raptured out. I'm wait, I'm bringing the kingdom here. I don't have a survival mentality. I just want to get up and go. No, I want to destroy the kingdom of darkness. And that's what you should want to do too. I hate the kingdom of darkness. It's my enemy. I know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, so my hatred isn't directed towards people, but my hatred is directed against the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> because we love God and we love people. <clears throat> so last verse, it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. So he had conferred authority to his disciples to continue the mandate that the Lord had given them, to continue the the mission that the Lord had that the Lord was fulfilling. Right? So once again, this may not be your call in terms of casting out demons and stuff like that. I know that there's people out there that say that's for everyone. I don't believe that. Um so I, I just don't I don't see anyone other than the ministers doing that, and I'm not here to debate that. But I, I'm here to say this: simply put, is that you can make a contribution, you can make a dent in the kingdom of darkness, nonetheless. <clears throat> Keep praying for your loved ones. Keep praying for your old friends. Keep interceding for them. Keep praying for missionaries. Keep praying for those that are carrying the gospel. You may not be the one going in the well, but you're the one holding the person that's going down in there. Amen. That's a really good practice to pray one hour a day. I'm not trying to be legalistic about it. You decide between you and the Lord. But that has been one of the secrets of my life is I pray in tongues every single day, at least an hour. Every day. And last night I spent two hours just praying in tongues the whole time. And because I, I reason this way, I can, be, I can be down and out and tossed up in a prison somewhere with my life ebbing away. But God had mercy, and so I'm in a comfortable home, and it's a delight and an honor to be before the Lord. Why is it difficult? You get what I'm saying? When you begin to reason that way, I can be strung out on dope. I can have overdosed. I could have died a long time ago, but the mercy of the Lord had pulled me out of my misery. He pulled me out of my misery, and He pulled you out of your misery. And I'm coming to a close here, but I want to leave you with this thought. Is have compassion on these lost people. Have compassion. And so maybe we need to get, we, we have to 
come before the Lord and say, God, I don't know what's in my heart, but I feel kind of callous. I don't feel how you feel, Lord. I feel kind of ugly. Because if I'm honest, I don't really care about people too much. And I get there's some people that are real hard to love. Really difficult. But do we care at all? Do we care? You know, one of the one of the things that was told uh, to me, one of the greatest things that I could that could be told to me, and I, I haven't heard I haven't heard it uh, too many times, but was that when I was praying for you, I was weeping. To me, that is one of the most assuring words that someone would weep for my soul. Because I know that they're giving themselves to earnest prayer for me. That's a very humbling thing. It's even more humbling if you don't think about the person, right? If someone were to tell you that and you haven't even lifted up a prayer for them, that's kind of, you know what I mean? But my my point is this. Don't detach your heart from the work that you do for the Lord and for others. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of change. And the Lord wants to use your hands and feet because you're His hands and feet. And He's no longer here. But He wants to use you and He wants to use I. So 